Welcome to Zero Brightness, a podcast about horror video games. My name's Ali. I'm joined by my friend James. How's it going, James? Hey, what's up, everybody? And today, we are just waiting for our mom to go to book club so we can use the computer <laughs> to play Quake. That's what's up. Yep. Nine Inch Nails on the soundtrack, on that CD-ROM, spinning on that 2X CD burner. Mm-hmm. You got in your compact Presario. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Dude, we're talking the gateway is open. <laughs> it's got cow spots. Oh yeah, man. Well, if you if you haven't noticed, today we're talking about 90s first-person shooters, <laughs> or at least 90s style first-person shooters. Yes, and uh, you know I'm not a huge modern FPS guy, but uh, these 90s style games have a big spot in my heart. Super nostalgic for me because when I was a kid one of our first computers was able to run Duke 3D, so I played a lot of Duke 3D. Oh yeah, for sure. I think the first PC game I ever played was Wolfenstein and I remember like my parents bought it on accident or like it came with our computer or something and like (laughs) I just like booted it up and was just like alone in my dad's office like playing the shit out of it and then one of them came in and I was like, what the fuck is this? And I was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> like, uh, uh, like, had to just, like, turn it off. But it was sick as hell. Yeah. Um, that was the era of uh, shareware. So, oh, yeah. I mean, you would get a computer and it would come loaded with a bunch of free games or... You'd go to Radio Shack, and for five bucks, you could leave with a couple discs of shareware, which I did a lot. Right. I got shareware of Duke 3D. I got shareware of... Uh, There's an earlier FPS game, sort of like Wolfenstein. I think it was called Blakestone, something like that. Okay. There was a vertical scrolling shooter called Raptor. It was like airplane shooter. Oh, nice. Yeah, I had a handful of uh, shareware games, and that was uh, really cool, because if you only had a couple bucks... You could get like a a really decent portion of a game. The Duke 3D shareware was eight stages or nine stages. So right, yeah. yeah, and also like not long after this era that we're talking about, I mean, these games would get CD re-releases that would all be super super cheap. Like yeah, my favorite game of this style was definitely Dark Forces, which is the Star Wars 90s FPS, and. I think I got that at, like, the Scholastic Book Fair for, like, $3. That was a sick game, too. Oh, yeah, for sure. The animation and the cutscenes is, like, so cool. (laughs) (laughs) I think that one was built on the Doom engine. Yes, it was, Mm -hmm. for sure. So Wolfenstein 3D was essentially a maze game, and the engine was so primitive that you couldn't do changes in verticality. So all the floors and ceilings are the same height, and there's no, you know, change in verticality at all. So there's no staircases or anything. Doom brought that. So there was verticality, different ceiling height, ceiling and floor textures, which Wolfenstein can do. Right. And then after the Doom engine came the build engine, which was designed by Ken Silverman. He was like a young kid. You know, he was like 18 or 19 building this engine and the build engine you could finally do things like uh rooms above other rooms so you could have things like elevators and you could finally look up and down right so yeah there were there were a handful of games built on each one of these engines there's duke 3d there's doom and wolfenstein 3d that are kind of like the three tiers of the progression of the complexity of these engines well and the two games we're talking about today first we're talking about blood 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other is Dusk. Blood is a 90s first-person shooter, and Dusk is a sort of throwback 90s-style first-person shooter that came out last year. But the first game, Blood, is actually in the build engine. Yeah. And it's sort of a later game for that engine. Right. There was a, a big three in the build the engine, which was Duke 3D, uh, Shadow Warrior, and Blood. Right. And Blood released last Right. And in the chronology of first-person shooters, it's super late for a a 2D shooter because these engines aren't pure 3D. Um, Right. It's sort of fooling you into thinking it's 3D. You know, with the advent of games like Quake and Turok and GoldenEye, we sort of said goodbye to the 2D shooter. (laughs) Right. And, I mean, if you were around at this time or you remember back to this era that was always a big deal trying to do full 3d yeah um and in first person shooters like if you're not familiar with these games the style of a game like blood or like duke nukem was essentially there's 3d architecture in the level but all the characters are rotating 2d sprites right um so when you move around them, the sprites just kind of rotate. And in this engine, in the, the build engine, which Blood is based on, it's kind of funny because you can sometimes see the characters flip around. And it's sort of like a yes. Paper Mario type of visual. Yeah. So we're playing the uh, new, the Night Dive remake of Blood, which is which has a full 3D engine. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to note that with the original build engine games, mouse look wasn't the default, oh. which is painful to think back on. Yeah, that's crazy. Because when I was playing Duke 3D on my PC, I was using like the page up and page down buttons to look up and down. <laughs> that's nuts. Most of the time, you just look straight ahead. And that's kind of how these games were designed. When you play Doom, you can't look up and down unless you're playing one of the source ports. Right. Doom is crazy because it's super playable today still, Mm -hmm. while a lot of these early 3D games are real difficult to play nowadays. Oh, for sure. Hot take, GoldenEye 64 is fucking unplayable. (laughs) You know? All right, that's not a hot take I get behind, but I see where you're coming from. Okay. Like, I do not want to play GoldenEye 64, but I do want to play, like, Deathmatch Doom. Yeah, I mean... Well, there is something to be said for these games being so simple and just doing what they do well. Yeah. Uh, Because, I mean, as we've talked about before, I actually don't like playing with mouse and keyboard. And I actually played both these games with a controller. You're insane. (laughs) I am insane. We've covered this, James. But, like, (laughs) my first thought was, like, I'm going to try and play both these games with a controller. And then from the back of my mind, I heard that's stupid you're an idiot (laughs) but then i thought about it and i was like well these games weren't super complex in like the aiming mechanics and all that sort of stuff and like the art style is like very chunky the enemies are a little chunky boys they're thick as hell and so like i mean there's like it's like there's no reason why i couldn't just be kind of clumsily swinging my fucking gun around and trying to hit them because they're little chonkers you know and i i played Duke Nukem 3D on PlayStation with a controller when I was a kid. Right. And that was before, you know, like dual analog was a thing. Yeah. And that was real difficult to handle. But, you know, I got through the whole game somehow. Well, you just have to take a slower pace to it, I think. Absolutely. And for me, nothing will be as bad as playing uh, Snatcher emulated where you had to move the cursor on the shooting parts with the arrow buttons. (laughs) 
That was fucking dark shit, dude. Brutal. That's super brutal. That's Brutal Doom. The real Brutal Doom. (laughs) (laughs) Just to back up a little bit, I kind of want to talk about what first-person shooters have to do with horror games at all. Because if you've listened this far, if you've gone with (laughs) us on this journey for 10 minutes, you may be thinking, what the fuck? But there is a long history of crossover between first-person shooters and the horror video game genre. Yeah, I mean, even from the beginning, one of the earliest 3D games ever made was 3D Monster Maze, Mm -hmm. and it was like a monster chasing you through a maze. Right. First person. Exactly, and there was like a whole history of first-person dungeon crawler type games that were horror, you know, or first-person adventure games. So obviously, you know, thinking of stuff like uninvited but there's all sorts of stuff like that and that continued on for years afterwards that like the first person perspective lends itself to horror i mean obviously now we know that because it's just the cornerstone of the horror game genre as we know it today but because of limitations in technology it wasn't used to make more adventure type experiences a lot And once survival horror hit, that just became the default is, okay, horror games are third person action adventure games, you know? Right. Well, and I think the the leap to 3D really helped with horror. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, a side scroller can only be so scary, you know? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, you have to break the fourth wall like a game like Eversion did to make a side scroller creepy, you know? But in the first person, it's like everything's kind of scary. And... A big point for me was that I think first-person shooters were viscerally scary way before, like, horror games were. Absolutely. Doom was fucking scary. Doom was fucking scary. Doom is still scary. Yeah. And I... Dude, okay, here's my hot take, is that (laughs) first-person shooters actually invented the jump scare by having enemies that you needed to 90-degree turn to see. The monster closets? Yeah. So that's like a big design point in all these games is that there yeah, there are little closets of monsters that are 90 degrees away from the path that your character is probably walking. 90 degree turning is really hard to do. You can kind of only do it with a mouse and you can only do it if you know that you're supposed to do it. So you get jump scared all the fucking times in these games. Yeah. Headphones help. Oh, yeah, for sure. And another thing, too, is that, you know, as you kind of hinted at, like these games from the start featured horror imagery and like gothic themes and stuff like that. Like Doom is just all demons and demonic satanic shit. Yeah. There's like a big upside on cross and like the first level of the second chapter and you see pentagrams everywhere. It's like heavy metal covers come to life. Exactly. And, you know, so beyond that, just being the sort of general cultural stew of like computer games, heavy metal, satanic edgelord shit. Uh, (laughs) There's also the component of the aesthetics and the atmosphere just becoming heavier and heavier over time. So a really good early example of this that you actually brought up, you know, all credit to you, uh, is that when Doom was released on the PlayStation, it got this radically different new creepy fucking soundtrack. Yeah, and I think, you know, because you you have to play the game with the controller, which sort of slows down your natural pace of playing first-person shooters, mm-hmm. that it does crank up the horror element significantly. Because it's a really cool ambient soundtrack. They changed the lighting. Yeah, it's just a really cool experience. And it was actually, that was my first, the first version of Doom I ever played. So PlayStation Doom kind of has a soft spot in my heart. We had two copies and two PlayStations, and we would link them together and do deathmatch, like, all night. (laughs) 
That's amazing. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, and I think it's a good illustration of the point I'm trying to make, which is that Doom, which I think a lot of people would say isn't a horror game explicitly, once you made these couple of changes to it, it suddenly became a horror game. You know, aesthetically, yeah. these games were so close that it was like once you made a couple little changes to it, it could actually be a horror experience, which I think is cool. And yeah. it's something that time would kind of just hammer home. You know, not long after that, we started to get other subgenres that explicitly married horror games and first person shooters. The best example is the immersive sim genre aka the system shock genre right and like system shock 2 really really kind of created the sort of horror first person shooter genre explicitly because it was a game that had all of the aesthetic and story elements of a horror game and it also let you bypass the action and shooting if you wanted to that's basically the cornerstone of the immersive sim genre is that you can choose how to develop your character and how you play the game. Right. So it's sort of like role playing and you can choose to be like, okay, I just want to be a hacker or I just want to be this like character who doesn't, you know, shoot or use violence explicitly to overcome enemies and obstacles. So it's like once those games started coming out and developers started thinking in that way, it became very clear that it's like Oh yeah, the first person perspective and the first person shooter archetype can be used really, really effectively to create horror and create tension. I think Doom opened a lot of doors because even in the worlds of fantasy, you, know, you would get Doom clones like Hexen, Heretic, right? But then things like uh, you know Elder Scrolls Arena happened, and you know look at Skyrim now. I think they all have dues to give to the original Doom. Oh yeah, absolutely. So uh, you know it's interesting you bring up like fantasy and dungeon crawler type experiences because that was another sort of crossover between the first person shooter genre and the horror genre. We started to get some kind of weird games that were essentially dungeon crawlers because you couldn't move in an agile way like you would in a first-person shooter, but mm-hmm. you were still sort of in the first-person perspective holding a gun. The one that I remember, honestly, that scared the ever-living shit out of me was the Jurassic Park game on the 3DO. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And, like, yeah, so, like, I didn't have a 3DO because nobody had a fucking 3DO, but... <laughs> I knew this one kid when I actually when I lived in Texas, uh, this one kid who was super fucking rich, like his parents just bought him every video game system that came out. They were just crazy loaded. And like, uh, so I'd go over to his house and just play these weird fucking games that I had never heard of or seen at all, you know, because it's like, well, it's not a Genesis or a Super Nintendo. So like, right. I don't know what the fuck that is. But yeah, he had a 3DO and there was this Jurassic Park game where you were just like, kind of wandering around a maze like you would in a dungeon crawler kind of moving from screen to screen and like you were trying to evade a raptor and when the raptor would catch you it like jump scare you and (laughs) man it was scary as hell but I remember at the time thinking like well I guess this is like Wolfenstein but it's like super fucking scary wow I don't know if anyone else remembers that game but 3DO Jurassic Park was wild (laughs) I also, like, dude, this kid has so many fucking consoles. I may be getting my comp. Maybe it was the CDI or some weird garbage. Like, who knows, you know? (laughs) CDI, yeah. Fuck, Philips. I remember seeing that in the store, and I never got one. Yeah, because nobody did. 
nobody wants that thing. Like, I feel bad for the kid that, like, got a CDI. <laughs> Those things were, like, really expensive. They were, like, a multimedia thing. Yeah, for sure. That was just, like, if your dad was rich and he wanted to show off some weird tech shit. Right. My dad had a Laserdisc player, so we would go to this, like, specialty electronics shop that sold, like, Laserdiscs and Laserdisc players and shit. Yeah. And they had, not only did they have, like, the CDIs and 3DOs, which we were, like, ridiculously expensive, but they had these Laserdisc players with Sega Genesis slots and, like... Oh, I've heard of this. You could pull the Sega Genesis module out and throw in, like, a TurboGrafx-16 module. Whoa. I think it was called, uh... Laser active or something like that. Yeah. That's nuts. Yeah, I remember seeing those in the store when they came out. Yeah, that shit was crazy. <laughs> Pioneer, dude. Yeah, dude. Had to do it. They had to do it to him, man. If you see something made in the 90s by Pioneer, it's probably like a dope piece of equipment. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, a lot of this stuff, kind of as we're talking about, was tied to the progression of technology. And as technology was getting better, they could make more immersive games. And as the immersion increased, you can create a better horror experience. And we started to see that more and more. So as you know, graphics technology got better, we did start to see a bigger horror influence on the first-person shooter genre. You know, obviously starting with a game like Blood in 97, but after that you have Alien vs. Predator in 99, which one of the modes is just explicitly like a horror experience. You have Half-Life 1 and 2, which I think both have a big, big, big horror influence. Half-Life was 98, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Half-Life 2, I think, has more of the, like, horror influence, but Half-Life does, too, with the kind of sci-fi horror yeah. basement lab from hell type of thing. Definitely, like, sci-fi horror. Half-Life 1 is pretty Cronenberg-y. Absolutely. System Shock 2 is also in 99. I mean, this stuff we're talking about is all, like, 98, 99. Well, you're forgetting one of the big boys. Quake was super horror, and that was 96. Right. And that kind of brought in the wave of 3D shooters. Sure. And Quake was definitely horror as fuck. Quake 2 took a turn for the sci-fi. Honestly, I was always more interested in Quake 1. I didn't play a lot of original Quake, so I played oh, a lot dude. of Quake 2. Yeah. And that kind of seems... That's why I think of it as sci-fi. I got the big box Quake from Best Buy, and then I got like all the expansions in the big box too. And then nice. like I even bought this other expansion that it was like, 100 levels for Quake, unauthorized. <laughs> that shit was... Yeah, I was a... Quake Freak. Quake Dude. 1. And Duke 3D. Goddamn. I had all the expansions for Duke 3D. There was one where you could, like, go to Washington, D.C. and blow it up. Yeah. For sure. I, side note, the packaging for the Quake games was always just incredible. Yes. Yeah, it came with, like, a dope digipack. Nine Inch Nails did the soundtrack. So yeah. what I would do is, like, when I was done playing the game, I would, like, put the CD in my disc man and then walk around the neighborhood or whatever. <laughs> Jam <laughs> some tunes, dude. Yeah. Just don't listen to track one. <laughs> oh, the data track. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Absolutely. And, you know, another one that's in here, too, is uh, Turok, which was in 97. Yeah. I mean, I love Turok and Turok 2. I kind of for a long time thought that nobody else did, but I guess now there's like a pretty dedicated community to yeah. those games. Turok 2 is a weird game. I think I just like it because I like it and it's weird, but like Turok 1 was really scary and intense. Mm, yeah. Like you can move really fast, but there's yes. a ton of fog everywhere oh. and there's dinosaurs and the dinosaurs 
they kill you really bad. They kill yeah. you like a dinosaur <laughs> would kill you. It's like the first few levels of that game are really, really scary. Yeah. You know, the Nintendo 64 has a big influence on the evolution of the first person shooter. I think, yeah. Um, you know, with golden eye, with the multiplayer competitive sort of experience. Right. And, uh, Turok one and two, that's something the PlayStation couldn't really do until the dual analog controller came out. Right. So a lot of the early PlayStation one, first person shooters like, you know, doom and Duke. And I think there was one called devastator. Mm-hmm. They were all just sort of awkward to play because of the non analog controls. Well, and one thing that's really funny is that even after the the original PlayStation got the dual analog controller, the developers hadn't figured out how to do dual analog right. controls for a first-person shooter. So, ironically, the N64's bizarre, awkward-ass controller worked way better for first-person shooters in the pre-dual analog era than anything yeah. else. It is hard to go back to, though. Like I said before, I don't want to play GoldenEye 64. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think there's a lot of these older first-person shooters where it's not really about accuracy. And so I don't mind the controls so much. Like, if you just sort of stop giving a fuck, like, (laughs) it's fine. And I guess that's how I felt about any old console FPS. There's some that are, like, notably bad. But, like, going back and playing GoldenEye or Turok, I'm never had an issue with anyway so to, to segue a little bit more into the games that we're actually going to be like diving into in this episode there were some more i thought interesting crossover between these games specifically and the games that we normally cover one of them being that both of these games were made by developers that had either already done horror games or would go on to do horror games mm. So Blood was done by Monolith Soft, who later went on to do Fear. And Fear is 2005 release that I think is basically the peak horror FPS game. They basically set out to make a game that fused a tactical first-person shooter with a horror movie. Like, they're really influenced by The Ring, you know? Hmm. And they actually did a pretty good job with it. Like... When you play it now, it's really forward thinking and it kind of reminds me more of, I I don't know, some of the first person exploration based games that we've covered more than it does like a tactical shooter from 2005. Hmm. I don't have any experience with the Fear series, so that's interesting to hear. Yeah, as a series, it's not good, but the first one is cool. (laughs) Good to know. Yeah, it's definitely worth checking out. Um, You can get it for like five bucks on GOG. So that's monolith soft basically went from blood to years later, you know, eight years later making fear, which was a a really big deal and kind of shook things up for a minute Mm. Uh, with dusk. The other game we're going to talk about, it's the opposite where that dude had actually been making explicitly and exclusively first person exploration based walking simulator horror games. And he made three of them. And then just decided he wanted to make a first-person shooter. And what's really funny is that I think I didn't know that when I played the game, but I got the feeling that this is someone who either has experience or just really likes horror games because it has a lot of elements from horror games. Oh, totally. And the other thing that was really crazy, so I found a really good interview uh, with the developer, David Zemanski, Mm. and 
he said, you know, the interviewer asked him like, well, what are you going to do for your next game? And he's like, well, I'm not going to do another shooter. I want to either do an immersive sim or a survival horror game. (laughs) And I was like, this is exactly what I was thinking when I was playing these games in the mindset of someone who mostly plays horror games. Cause I don't really play a lot of first person shooters. Like I have in the past, but it's not my, my go-to. Yeah. And I was thinking like, man, this really reminds me of like an immersive sim or it really makes me think of like these survival horror games. Um, On that note, both of these games have a lot of elements from horror video games. They have jump scares. They got enemies to try and spook you. They got creepy ass music. They got heavy fucking atmosphere, you know? Yeah. They got super intense level design. They got ammo <laughs> scarcity and they got picking up them goddamn keys and opening them goddamn doors. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? There's yeah. a whole lot of keys and a whole lot of doors. Keys open doors. I, I dedicated to blood. So like I played the whole thing from beginning to end. I didn't do the bonus missions or the expansions, but I did it all with no cheats mm-hmm. on medium difficulty. I think it's called lightly broiled. Mm. And uh, man, there's a lot of meat on them bones. That game took maybe like 10 to 12 hours to finish, which is sort of a lot for a first person shooter. But like, man, there's four chapters and there's a ton of levels. And some of the levels are legitimately like long, complicated stages. It's just a lot of game for a very small download. So blood has multiple versions Oh, re-releases and all that type of stuff. Yeah. Like you said earlier, we played the sort of remake, remaster by Night Dive Studios. Yeah. Who kind of are specialists in this now. They're actually working on a System Shock remaster yeah. and a System Shock 2 remake, I believe. Um, it seems to be kind of stuck in development hell, but every once in a while they're like, hey, we're still working on it. Did they also do the Turok one? Uh, yeah, they sure did. They did the Turok remaster on Steam. Yeah, which I have been meaning to play because I love that game, but I haven't gotten around to it. Yeah. But so they already did the System Shock like remaster, but they've been working on a remake. It's just like trying to remake System Shock is sort of like uh, sort of like uh, tilting at windmills. I don't know. I mean, I think they'll get it out eventually, but man, I would not want to be the guy in charge of that for sure. Anyway, we played Blood Fresh Supply. So that's that's the version and it's really good. Yeah, I got it for like five bucks on some yeah. third-party key website, but I think it's like ten bucks on GOG. When I booted up, I had never played Blood actually. Like oh, I knew really? what it was. Yeah, I knew what it was, and I think I'd maybe played a second of it. Like mm. the first level seemed familiar from yeah. when I was a kid or something. Yeah. But like I never, I I wouldn't say that I've played the game at all. Had you played any of the built engine games? Oh yeah, yeah, I played okay. a ton of Duke Nukem. Yeah. Which, like, it was really nice to play Blood now because it didn't have, like, the misogyny of Duke Nukem and the racism <laughs> of Shadow Warrior. So it's like, yes, if, if you're feeling nostalgic for this type of game, but you want to play it without, like, needing to, like, bleach your eyes and ears afterwards, like, play Blood. <laughs> Dude, Lo Wang is so fucking racist. Oh, my God. How did this... That's it. Actually, I don't have anything else in that sentence. It's just, how did this? <laughs> have you seen a picture of his uh, voice actor? No. It's just like this fat old white guy. <laughs> <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> I used to entertain my wife with this voice. She thought it was hilarious. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, just really awful, awful shit. But yeah. anyway, Blood doesn't have any of that. And Blood did surprise me with like 
turning it on and there's a fucking FMV cutscene just <laughs> yes, off the dude. rip. They're so corny. They're so bad. I love it. And there's just the two at the beginning and end of the first chapter. I think there's one at the end of every chapter. So I okay, you played through the whole game. Yeah. <laughs> legit. Which yeah. is insane. Because this shit is fucking hard as fuck. Yes, this game is hard. Okay, and so I told you... Okay, so when James pitched this episode, I was like, that's fine, (laughs) just so you know. (laughs) I can't really play these games. But I did... So the way I used to play them when I was a kid was that I would play a level, I would use cheats if I have to, and then when I got bored of the level, I would just skip the level. Yeah. So... I've seen like every level in like Dark Forces, but I definitely have not legitimately beaten the game <laughs> Dark Forces, right? Or same with Doom. It's like I've seen every level of Doom. I haven't legitimately seen it. But with this game, I had planned to do that as well. But then when I actually started playing Blood on easy mode, by the way, which is still fucking hard as shit. On the first difficulty? So I think it's called Still Kicking. So I was playing on like super easy mode. And it was still hard, but I played through the first two episodes or the first two chapters of the game or whatever they're called. Uh huh. Uh, legit on easy. Okay. Uh, but I didn't see cutscenes in the second chapter. I only saw them in the beginning and end of chapter one. Yeah. After the second chapter, there's uh, the spider boss, right? Yeah. And uh, after you kill the spider, your friend is like wrapped up in like spider webs and you, you eat his, his fucking, fucking heart. heart. You eat his fucking heart, and it's amazing. In, like, the worst, like, 90s vaporwave CGI. (laughs) Yeah, it's real grimy. It's very, very (laughs) low res. Uh, Pretty great stuff. But I love the, the opening cinematic is great because it's just, like, you're not expecting it, and it really sets the tone, you know, that it's, like, this game cares about the atmosphere. And it's a full 3D engine. Right. So if you're familiar with build engine games, when you look up and down, your perspective gets like really skewed. Way skewed. And it it's kind of like sickening if you do it a lot. If like I mean if you turn on mouse look in the original Duke 3D, it's like sort of sickening. Yeah. <laughs> until you get used to it. But uh yeah, it's just like a full 3D rebuilt engine, so you don't have to worry about that. Yeah, it has the option that you can use the music from the CD version, which is super weird and creepy and atmospheric, just like the CD version of Doom Yeah, had this crazy, creepy soundtrack. Side note, you can get the PlayStation Doom soundtrack on Bandcamp from the original composer. Oh, no shit. I'm going to go check that yeah. out. Yeah, that's how I was listening to it. I actually want to buy it to support him because that shit is fucking sick. Yeah, it's pretty dank. Dude, super dank early 90s synth sounds. I think I hear a Roland D50 in there. Oh, hell yeah, dude. Yeah. You know it. The little joystick on it. Dude, my synth that I use is a Roland that's powered by floppy disks. Love it. <laughs> it's my That's my jam. Welcome to the future. Welcome. Welcome to the past. Yeah, so it's got really, really cool music, um, and you can toggle it, but the CD version has, like, the creepy horror music, Yeah, and it's super, super dope. Yeah, there's a lot of really good songs, except for the carnival song. The carnival song is the worst (laughs) song in the history of humanity. Yeah, the CD music option for the carnival level is extremely grating and terrible. Yeah, it's like calliope music (laughs) with laughing sound effects, and it's really... It's got this lead instrument that's just very screechy. 
It's very, very bad. I feel like we should talk a little bit about the gameplay style of Blood. It's kind of like Duke 3D on even more steroids. <laughs> more horse steroids. I mean, it's still build engine, but I feel like the big difference is here is like skill-based weapons. A lot of the weapons that you would expect to have in a first-person shooter, they're sort of remixed here and they demand more of the player. For example, instead of getting a pistol, you get a flare gun, which when yeah. you shoot something, it takes them several seconds to die because they finally like combust and catch fire. Yeah. Another example that you get right off the bat is uh, dynamite. You light a stick of dynamite and you cook it for distance and then you throw it. And if you hold it too long, it'll blow up in your hands. Well, and if you don't throw it and run backwards, it blows you up. Yeah. If you just tap the button, you're still in the damage zone. Yeah. So <laughs> for sure. The next thing that's important to point out is that the regular enemies, uh, the cultists, the ones with guns, yeah, they always hit you and they always take off a shit ton of damage. Yeah. And in the first few levels of the first chapter, they're everywhere. And they will just cut you to fucking shreds. And so, <laughs> like, right at the beginning of this game, it like throws you in the deep end of like you only have these shitty weapons that are skill-based. These dudes are going to rip you to shreds, and uh, good fucking luck, buddy. <laughs> yeah, so the two main enemies that you'll face throughout the game really are these guys in robes who yell at you in Latin, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who are cultists. And, yeah, they have machine guns, and they're very, very formidable. The brown ones have shotguns, and the, the, the black ones have machine guns. Yeah. That's what it is. And the, the other sort of main enemy are these zombies. They're not obviously as terrible as those guys, but they also take enough bullets that you can end up in a pretty bad situation if you get swarmed by them. Yeah, so it's it's just a really, really challenging game. It throws some other enemies at you too, but every new enemy it throws at you, it's just like, oh my god. I feel like this game was like tailored for like... Like, oh, you beat Duke 3D, right? Okay, well, here's this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like the Mario 2, the Japanese Mario 2 to, like, fucking, yeah. you know? Where it's just unreasonable. Yeah, this is definitely, like, the lost levels. What's interesting, though, is that, like, as a counterpoint to that, I mean, the level design in this game is really huge and open and exploration based so yeah. you have these like bursts of really intense action but mm -hmm. then you just have this kind of atmospheric wandering that's sort of the ebb and flow of these early first person shooter games you'll battle a wave or you'll deal with a big room full of bad guys you'll explore a bit find a key open a door deal with the same sort of wave that's sort of the ebb and flow of these games and that's kind of where the puzzle elements come in too because these aren't like modern first person shooters you actually have to like figure out a maze because essentially all the stages are mazes some of them actually explicitly have like hedge mazes in them more than one stage has a hedge maze mm -hmm. but what what i think is cool about this game is that level design idea is pushed so far that it actually makes the exploration sections really interesting and really rich and atmospheric yeah like more so than other games of this era that I've played. Once again, I'm not the most well-versed or the scholar of early FPS or anything, but like, just in my experience, I think that the levels here are so big and so maze-like and so creepy that it actually kind of creates its own cool vibe and has its own cool experience based around exploring uh, these levels in between those bouts of really intense action. Totally. 
And, you know, the soundtrack just reinforces that because there's a lot of creepy stuff. And, you know, the enemies have voice clips, things that yell at you. You know, there's like sound effects for everything. It's easy to take this kind of stuff for granted. But yeah, back well, I mean, in that era, that wasn't common. The, the little disembodied hands are screaming evil dead quotes at you. <laughs> and the the okay, zombies are yelling return things, living dead quotes at you. Yeah, fuck those things. Yeah. You know, okay, there's a couple different classes of enemies in this game. And then there's a right. subclass of enemies that are like the tiny annoying ones. And it's like yeah. the rats and the bats and the disembodied hands. They're so fucking annoying. Dude, but side note, that's what the alt fire on the Tommy gun is for. Oh, is that what that's for? Like if you're getting swarmed by rats and you hit that, you just kill them all. No shit. I've never tried that's that. That's what it's for. In 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> we were like messaging while I was playing the game and, and James was like, oh, every weapon has an alt fire. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> and then like I got really obsessed with the Tommy gun alt fire because you just wave it around like your Scarface. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, it's totally useless. And then a minute later, I was just like mowing down rats. And I was like, oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Pro strats, dude. Dude, I was pissed when Dusk brought back the fucking rats but didn't give me a Scarface style way to take care of them. I was furious. If I was going to try and sell this game to someone who isn't a fan of first person shooters or old first person shooters, but likes horror games, I really think that the fact that you spend most of the game kind of wandering around these creepy environments alone while creepy music plays. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know if there's anything better than that. That's like 80% of the games we've played for this show so far. Yeah. Well, and I also didn't play this game on easy mode, so I'm like in a carnival, like mowing down tons of cultists while JoJo the Idiot Circus Boy is about to play and fighting for my life while all these bundles of TNT are whizzing by my head. So, <laughs> well, let me say, uh, easy mode is more fun. You should play. You should have played it on easy mode. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I had a lot of fun with this game. It reminded me how good the stage design was in old FPS games. I think FPS is a genre peaked early, and I think, you know, this late 90s stuff is like Apex FPS. Yeah, it is definitely almost shocking to go back to it. I said this to you in chat where I was like, newer FPSs hold your hand so much. I really think it was like the Half-Life 2 Halo revolution where things not only wanted to be more cinematic, but they also wanted it to be like movie style story beats. Right. So the game is just constantly trying to funnel you forward into the next story beat. And so you really lose the feel of these games and especially this game where you get that free form exploration, Mm. you know, doom 2016 did a pretty good job of bringing some of that back. So uh, hopefully a lot of future FPS games, We'll kind of follow that trend that Doom twenty sixteen set. Actually, in a in a, in a in a minor way, Shadow Warrior two sort of did that too, which was a really fun game and significantly less racist than the original Shadow Warrior. <laughs> oh, man. It's still it, it's still campy as fuck, but was that a more recent game? I don't know about yeah. That. A company called Flying Wild Hog made it. They're also out of Poland. It's really good. It's. Uh, there's a lot of melee. You can double tap W to sprint. You can do double jumps and shit. You're very agile. It's a lot nice. of fun. Yeah, it's kind of a looter shooter. Okay. Which is like, I don't know, it's the only looter shooter I've ever played. So. <laughs> 
Got to get them jams. Give me them jams. Yeah. The problem is that it's some of the stages are procedurally generated, which means uh-huh. um, mediocre stage design. Oh, yeah. Well, and that's one thing, too. I think that now that we're in the era where we're going back 20, 30 years, whatever, and looking at old games and just really appreciating some of the complexity and beauty of the design, yeah. it's cool to go back to a game like this and look at these level designs and just be like, this is a great spooky maze yes and to me that's like such the appeal of it that yeah something that's procedurally generated can't do that you know right well so something we haven't talked about is you know how the game plays you know we kind of said it was like duke on steroids but the guns are a big part of this equation we talked about some of them like the flare gun and the dynamite how they're sort of skill-based but i think the shotgun is really notable in this game because it's just so satisfying. The single fire, you could, you know, two two barrels and then you reload. But then the the alt fire is uh, both barrels at once. And it's just, uh, with the amount of recoil and uh, the way the enemies react, it's just like one of the most satisfying FPS guns ever. Yeah, no shit. I mean, it was kind of the only thing I used, yeah. basically, when I, when I played this game. You know, unless it was something that you needed to use a more powerful weapon on. That's yeah. like the only thing I used. The Tommy gun was fun. Instead of a rocket launcher, you get a napalm launcher, which has a sort of ridiculously sized damage radius. Yeah, it's hard not to kill yourself with it. And then there's a plasma rifle like in Doom, but then there's a couple unique mystical weapons that I never really used ever. Um, The voodoo doll. You didn't use the voodoo doll? Yeah, so, okay, there's the voodoo doll and then there's the life leech. And the problem with both of them is that, you know, if... When you're using the voodoo doll, if you don't aim at the thing you're trying to kill, it hurts you. Yeah. And with the life leech, you can take your own life away if you run out of bullets. Sure. So I never used either of those things. I love the voodoo doll. Dude, I spam the voodoo doll. I love it. Spam voodoo doll, dude. Yeah. No, I, I love it. Um, but it's a pretty good arsenal. It, it's sort of weird to not have a regular pistol. But it fits. Okay, so this is another cool thing about this game is that it has a weird aesthetic. Yeah. Which is that you're almost this like... 40s style like demon farmer 1927 (laughs) i think it's based in something like that yeah yeah like you have this sort of weird old-timey evil aesthetic and like even the in the third or fourth episode a bunch of stages seem to be set during like world war one or two yeah that's the third episode yeah and so it's like it's cool that they not only is it like, okay, the aesthetic is horror. So, okay, you're fighting zombies and you're fighting cultists and there's a bunch of references to horror movies like blah, blah, blah. But yeah. they also set it in a time period and then made all the weapons like fit that thing. So, like, yeah, when you start out, you have a fucking pitchfork. <laughs> yeah. And, well, you wake up in your grave like Altered Beast. Uh, you wise when you grave. Yeah, dude. And you've got a fucking pitchfork and you just wander around poking guys. And it's once again with everything, the music and the aesthetics and everything, it just sets the mood right away. You know, it's not like Duke Nukem where it starts up and some fucking butt rock is playing and you punch a a demon in the face or whatever. (laughs) It's like, no, we're doing something different with this one. That zombie just crawled out of its grave like you did. Wise from your grave. And now you're going to pitchfork it to death. Yeah. All I have is this bag of flares. What am I going to do? Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. The first couple levels, flare gun is uh, flare gun is your friend. Yeah. Well, you don't have any other friends because I the fucking first couple levels are brutal. 
Well, let's, let's talk about <laughs> some fun stages because I think like this game has some stages that really shine. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, just like with any of these build engine games, the first stretch of levels are always really great. Yeah. And these games are, uh, the stages are meant to be sort of like built in a linear path. So one will lead to the other, will lead to the other. So the right. first stage is like really fucking sick. It's basically like the, the funeral home from Phantasm. Yeah. Like a miniature version. And like, so you meet the cultists and they look like the little midgets from Phantasm. So this, like the horror movie is just like start like immediately and they never stop. We were going to talk about some of the movie references, but there's like so many. You just have to go to the Blood Wiki and read them. There's there's literally fucking hundreds. No, I, I love it. We've already touched on some of them already. Yeah. You know, but even just in talking about the stages, we're going to hit yeah. a lot more. Oh, f- for sure. After the funeral home, you go to a train station, uh, which is super cool, super brutal. And then you take the train. So one of the stages is actually on the moving train. The next stage, the train crashes and you're at a carnival. So like that, that, that stretch of like four stages is just like perfect 90s FPS level design. That first stretch of four stages. Chapter one, it gets kind of like, they get kind of like more temple like stone temples and stuff. I, I like the more sort of a uh, modern-ish 1920 style stuff, like the train and the funeral home. Yeah, just stuff that gives you something that's a little more visually interesting and something that's actually throwing these kind of movie references at you. I found that that was a big part of the fun of oh, this totally. game. It's a very campy game. It's it's very Evil Dead 2, very Army of Darkness. Yeah, Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness are huge influences on this game. I mean, the first time you get strangled by a disembodied hand screaming Evil Dead quotes at you, you're like, <laughs> okay, I get it. I got that. Yup, cool. <laughs> it never, like, doesn't stop being cute, though. These little hands, like, screaming, I'll swallow your soul. Yeah, and, like, a pitched-up voice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's pretty fun. So moving on to chapter two, um, I really dislike the first stage. I don't know how you feel about it. Uh, I'm having a hard time remembering it. That's the one where you show up on a boat in like iceberg. You're like on a little dinghy. Oh, yeah. That's why I forgot about it. It's very stupid. It fucking sucks. Like, I don't like it at all. It's one of a few stages in this game where like I killed everything and couldn't figure out how to leave. And it was just like, well, there was a hole right by you the whole time. And I was like, okay, cool. A couple stages in this chapter have that problem. Yeah. Um, this stage is actually where you're introduced to the Guild Beast also, which is an underwater shark man monster thing. Super yeah. annoying. The chapter does get a lot cooler, though, when you uh, you end up at a lumber mill, which is a fun level. That's a cool level. But then things really start cooking when you uh, get to the uh, hedge maze level and then the overlooked hotel stage. <laughs> yes, the best stage in the game. Maybe. Maybe the best stage in the game. My favorite. Yeah, it's like top three stages in the game. Great Both of those stages are uh, Hedge Maze and Overlooked Hotel. Uh, Hedge Maze is real tense because you're in like real close quarters with a lot of bad guys. Lots of 90 degree turns. (laughs) Yeah. And Overlooked is just super exploratory, secrets everywhere. It's like, man, it's like apex stage design for these old school 90s FPSs. Absolutely. And as you may have guessed, it's a reference to the Overlook Hotel in The Shining. Yeah. And it even has the little frozen Jack Nicholson yeah. out front, which I, I I was like standing in front of him like, is there something you can get it to do or an Easter egg? And I just ended up blowing it up. And I was like, oh, I guess that's that. <laughs> yeah, if it was Duke Nukem, you would have like pissed on him or something. 
Yeah. No, I'm, I I think it was more respectful to just explode him. It was great. Yeah. Um, I think this stage introduces you to the phantasm enemy, which is like a super annoying ghost who is like transparent. Oh, yeah. Until... Uh, it screams at you. Yeah. And you can't hurt him until he becomes like translucent, and then you shoot him, and then he becomes transparent again. That fucking got me. Yeah. Counterintuitively, the best way to kill him is to just wait till he gets up in your face, and then like unload both barrels of your shotgun on him. Yeah. <laughs> but the first time... No, I agree. And the first time you find one, it's like you open a closet and it just yes. flies out at you. Yeah. That really got me. Yeah. That was a real scare. After the Overlook Hotel, there's another great stage, uh, The Haunting, which is like a big haunted mansion. and Fantastic stage. Yeah. The same stuff. Uh, big areas. You'll get lost. You'll there will be points where you don't know what the fuck you're doing. All right, w- one point that we didn't talk about in this game is that uh, unlike Doom, where you just have a red, yellow, and blue key, Blood, you can have up to six fucking keys. It's a lot of keys. It's a lot of shit to keep track of. And uh, it's a lot of doors that you have to remember to come back to. Yeah, and that's another thing that made me sort of relate this to survival horror because it made me think back to, like, the original Resident Evil or... It's a good point. You know, where yeah. it's like... You know, you're getting all these ridiculous fucking items. Like, in Resident Evil, it's like, you know, a statue that you have to flip it over and look at the bottom or some bullshit. And then yeah. also also 15 keys. <laughs> and, like, it was cool playing this game where it's like, oh, you know, this actually really makes me think of survival horror games where you have to juggle keys. You have to remember where your backtracking is. They're just almost like micro survival horror games. Like, each yeah. level... The good levels, the ones that are really big and exploratory and fun, remind me of that. And it kind of gave me that 90s horror vibe, like Alone in the Dark, Resident Evil kind of vibe. And if you play it on hard, you're definitely being careful and doing health management and shit, not being wasteful. I still was on easy, but it's just because I'm not good at these games. Yeah. Uh, Another thing about playing these games with the controller is that since they're not built, for modern players they're not built with the same modern amenity as like aim yeah. snapping to the closest target and things like that so yeah accuracy is just going to be a lot lower inherently I, I, I switched to mouse and keyboard every here and again when i was like when, i can't get past this when part. shit got hairy yeah, yeah yeah so it's like i did what i had to do i mean i played the whole through the whole game without cheating but uh, I did quick save like a motherfucker because, you know, you just turn a corner and there's like three machine gun guys and they mow you down and like three quarters of your life's gone and you're just like, fuck. Yeah, both of these games encourage save scumming like real bad. And I yeah. I got into it, into it. And blood can be legitimately cheap. Um, oh, yeah. You know, there will be every time you go walk into a new room, there's like somebody behind you, like in the corner. Yeah. Towards the end of the game, I just started like throwing dynamite around corners when I got to a new corner and like <laughs> nine times out of 10, like there's like a bunch of gore flying past me in a second. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, and they also start throwing in like environmental hazards every, every once in a while too. Like the last level of the second uh, chapter is just full of like environmental hazards. Yeah. And it's just like, ugh. Come on, you know. So moving on, the third chapter. I like the third chapter a lot because it's more urban. I always thought the more urban stages of Duke 3D were always my favorite. The second chapter of Duke 3D wasn't super great to me, but the first and third were like fucking spot on. It's it's really cool because it's like 
you're walking through a ghost town. The first stage is called Ghost Town, I think. There's like bombers like dropping bombs on town. So you get all that really cool like build engine environmental destruction that they used to do, which was always like really satisfying to watch. And so the second level is just an extension of that city level, but more shit's going on and like bombs are dropping and you hear machine guns in the background the whole level. And so you're just exploring through this town. You go through like a restaurant bar and shit and there's all these references and everything. I think this is probably where I had the most fun with blood. The first run of levels in chapter one and then here. There's also a hospital stage called the sick ward. That was really fun. Yeah, that level is cool. I think I liked uh, chapter two the best just because it had all those like gothic mansions and that's definitely my speed yeah give me the resident evil vibes and i was i was vibing on it hard. yeah i think this game has more variation in environment than something like duke 3d because of that too yeah well even definitely more than like doom or really most of the the games that were like in this quasi 2d sort of shooter genre yeah like, they kind of got samey with the levels, but this game really mixes it up. Each chapter feels really distinct. See, when, when you start up chapter three and it's in a town that's like under siege, yeah. and it's got this kind of war imagery and stuff. It's like, oh, whoa, this is actually like jarring in a cool way. You know, it's like this is something totally different. The second half of chapter three, it gets really industrial and it gets sort of less interesting for me. Um, Still good stages, just nothing that stands out. And then I feel like the last chapter is sort of a mixed bag for me, too. Yeah, for sure. Nothing really stood out for me there, personally. The Crystal Lake stage was really cool. Um, They introduced new environment textures, so it looks like you're walking through the woods. Um, I had fun with that one. And um, I I feel like the highlight of the last chapter is a stage called In the Flesh, where you're in sort of a meat world. And uh, (laughs) the architecture just kind of like does weird shit. Yeah, it's it's a cool, like, you get a lot of cool environments and stages to explore. And like I said, I, I really like just how atmospheric it got and how much of a premium was putting on just letting you explore in between these bouts of really intense action. Yeah. Um, the stages are really big, uh, which is cool. They and, vary in quality, too. They're not all equal in terms of quality. So No. Yeah, like, I mean, you look at the list you put together. I think each chapter has, like, three or four really, really standout stages. Yeah. Then, but there's, like, eight levels in each, I think, something like that. Bottom line, I, I really enjoyed this game. I thought it was really fun. Uh, and I, I thought it was a good, like, horror experience, you know? like Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It's uh, more of a... Um, uh, Night of the Creeps, you know? For sure. Yeah. And I think, though, that, like, if you like horror stuff, you inevitably end up getting into stuff that's as much horror-themed as it is, like, of the genre itself. Yeah. You know? <laughs> In video games, obviously, it's a huge thing. You know, there's, like, classics like Castlevania and Ghosts and Goblins and uh, even later stuff like Devil May Cry and things like that. Like, you end up sort of getting into this stuff uh it is what it is, you know, it just has the aesthetics you like, but I like that in this game, it's obviously made by people who love horror and love horror movies. And they just keep throwing references at you and keep throwing out things that you can explore or just pick apart and just kind of have some fun with like for me being such a fucking like monster kid, you know, it's like, yeah. if I'm going to play one of these games. I'm glad it was blood, you know? Yeah. I'm probably never going to play another game like this again. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I got like really nostalgic for build engine games and I kind of want to go back to Duke 3D and play through the first chapter at least, you know, because that was probably yeah. the best chapter. 
Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but I, you know, I think that's kind of the power of something like this, like something being horror themed, is that it'll get you to check out something like that that you may have not yeah. checked out otherwise. You know, and like there's other episodes that I want to do for the show that are a little more on the horror themed side sure. than they are on yeah. like explicitly horror side. And <clears throat> yeah, I think about obviously games like. Like I really want to do a Dark Souls and Onimusha episode. Mm. Uh, and like Onimusha is a great example because it's like uh, a lot of people picked up that game because it was like, well, it's like Resident Evil, but with Samurai. And yeah. that's like a weird, you know, that's a weird combo that ends up working really well. And, you know, people had never played like a Samurai game, you know. Like, yeah. You're going to have to beat Dark Souls to talk about Dark Souls, though. Eh, do I? <laughs> yeah. Fight me. It's a rite of passage. Hey, you haven't beat the original Dark Souls. It's fucking hard, dude. Yeah, I beat Dark Souls 3, though, so I can talk about Dark Souls 3. <laughs> All right, well, I'll try and beat Dark Souls 3, and we'll see. Yeah, <laughs> perfect. Hey, y'all. Thanks so much for listening to the Zero Brightness podcast. If you want to support us, the most direct ways are at our Patreon, which is at patreon.com slash zero brightness. You can also give us a rating on the service of your choice. I know Apple's super into that. And when you leave a rating, you can also leave us a suggestion for a future episode topic. You can also follow us on Facebook as well as Instagram. We're at Zero Brightness Pod. You can also shoot us an email with thoughts, comments, whatever at Zero Brightness Podcast at gmail.com. It's been really cool interacting with people and sharing thoughts on Facebook and Reddit. So hoping to hear from you guys more directly in the future. Okay, enjoy the rest of the episode. Dusk. Dusk is really fucking cool. I got it on early access, basically right when it was announced. I was feeling the hype pretty hard. I got the the playable demo, which is the first chapter. They kind of did it shareware style. And I right. I mean, I, I devoured it in one sitting. And so here's the interesting thing. Um, you know, the first chapter is very much a Quake clone. It sets itself up as, like, the perfect homage to, like, the earliest 3D first-person shooters. And then the second chapter and third chapter come out, and each one sort of, like, pushes the boundaries farther and farther. And then, you know, by the end of the third chapter, the game is doing just insane, bonkers shit that you never expected from, like, you know, a quote-unquote Quake clone. I don't know, it, it doesn't show its cards. And I think a lot of people aren't talking about, like, how fucking insane Dusk gets at the end of the game. But it's really cool. Well, to me, Dusk was interesting immediately. So, for the listener who doesn't know exactly what we're talking about like the quake element here is that the the visual style uh is like totally totally different than blood yeah in the sense that instead of being this kind of like 3d environments with 2d sprites it's fully 3d things are generally on the like lower polygon count side and they sort of have these like (laughs) yeah but they have these like sort of pixelated textures but it ends up looking really really cool this game reminds me a lot visually of lost in vivo in the yeah. sense that it has you know like lost it's got in the vivo meets redneck rampage <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly like it's got the low poly count models and it's got the pixelated textures but then it's also got really interesting lighting effects yeah and the way it all comes together and this game has fantastic music like 
so 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 good and the way it all comes together just creates like such a powerful image and aesthetic that like it's it's kind of like when we were talking about earlier or you know in the layers of fear 2 episode where it's like you can just close your eyes and think of what this game looks like and you can summon it immediately you know which is kind of the mark of like a good visual and aesthetic style in a game um so the thing about Dusk, Dusk is way more of a horror game than Blood. Like, yeah. Dusk to me is like way more explicitly a horror game. As I mentioned earlier, the, the well, this is a 2018 release. It was developed by David Szymanski and published slash like co-developed by New Blood Interactive. He had previously been a horror game developer. Like he was making these horror walking simulator games. He did Fingerbones. Uh, the Moon Silver and the Music Machine, I believe, are the names of his games. We're gonna have to check uh, those out because I don't know anything about any of them, dude. I know. I actually kind of wanted to try and play one or two of them before this episode, but I didn't have time, and so I just watched some videos. And like, all of them have these great visual styles. They look beautiful. They're very atmospheric. Some of them are a little text heavy, which like, man, we'll see what that's like. But yeah, uh, <laughs> um, they look super, super cool and. With Dusk, like you said, I I think it's an interesting game because it just jumps into being like an old school first person shooter, but then it takes all the horror elements and just turns them up to 11. Absolutely. Relative to the genre, this game is like a horror game. Uh, Relative to horror games, it's more of an FPS. Yeah. And like even after the, the stage is done loading, it says press a button to enter the horror yeah (laughs) it knows what's up yeah exactly and so like you know the early stages kind of have this like rustic country kind of vibe which makes sense because the developer says his favorite uh horror movie is texas chainsaw massacre yeah you know (laughs) and it's definitely got that vibe but as the game goes on it gets into this like lovecraftian dark underworld kind of vibe right the story is uh dusk dude which is his name, which is a throwback to Doom Guy. Doom Guy. Yeah, he's, yeah. I was going to say, he's Doom Guy's cousin, obviously. Yeah. Um, he's like a treasure hunter. And so he goes to this abandoned town called Dusk in Pennsylvania. And uh, he's kidnapped by cultists. And that's the kind of the story. And it turns right. out uh, the town, through mining, has found uh, like these ancient ruins under the city. And so, like, this weird cult shit happens, and the military shows up, and the military starts getting corrupted, too. It's kind of interesting, but it's all sort of told, you know, it's FPS. There's no story at all. It's all kind of, like, told incidentally through, you know, what's going on in the stages. But, I mean, this is another thing. It's done really well. Yeah. Like, it once again, to make another reference to Lost in Vivo, it reminded me of that game, which also didn't have an explicit story besides like the opening and the ending cutscenes, right, right. and everything else was literally just writing on the walls, seeing environments and drawing your own conclusions. And there's a ton of that in this game and yeah. it's done super, super well. You have a sort of inner monologue from the cult leader and he kind of like antagonizes you through the game through, with like a deep monster voice. And everybody's got a deep monster voice. I love it. Flank him. <laughs> Speaking of voices, uh, side note, the voice of the last boss 
is the same actor as the guy that played Caleb from Blood. Oh, shit. There you go. Ties them together. I feel like we should talk about some of the, like, unique gameplay that Dusk has. Because it's sort of like the Quake FPS after, like, snorting biker crank. (laughs) It's... Super fast, super frenetic. A lot of times when you get into a battle, like the music changes to riff lord heavy metal. Yeah, very Meshuggah. Um, seven string Ibanez heavy metal. Yeah, super Meshuggah vibe. Like it's like a Nine Inch Nails meets the Gent thing. Yeah, yeah. Because they definitely want to sound like Nine Inch Nails on this because of Quake. Yeah. Yeah, so like on Biker Crank, the first person shooter, like when you jump up and down aren't bound anymore so you can do like front flips and back flips and shit right there are power-ups that like slow down time so it's like that game super hot so like when you're not moving time freezes and so you're like doing all this crazy john woo shit while the seven string guitar is like playing gym it's (laughs) incredible it's designed to like fucking pump your adrenaline up yeah. And it, I don't know, these sort of games kind of like put me in a flow state to where I'm like circle strafing like a badass and shit. And I like feel like I'm good at video games for like half an hour. Yeah. You know? <laughs> nice. Yeah. And that's what I love about this game is it, it totally does that. And it also has these areas that are super quake like where it's just a big arena and you just have to yeah. kill a ton of guys. But it'll flip between that and stages that are fully exploration based or parts of stages yeah. where it's all about just creeping around and the and the music is super super dynamic which you kind of alluded to so it'll go all the way from Meshuga down to like Apex Twin selected ambient works in like a snap you know yeah and like I love that one thing that I think is cool about that dichotomy in this game is that one of the elements that it uses to do both is the enemies. Like, I think the enemies are super, super well designed in this game. Um, especially in the sense of, like, you get some really good basic FPS enemies, like the cultists and, like, the soldiers. But yeah. you also get these really wild enemies that are straight out of a horror game. Like, have almost no yeah. business being in an FPS. Or, like, straight out of somebody's nightmares. <laughs> yeah. So the two that really come to mind for me are the, like, the invisible fucking guys. The Wendigo. Oh, my God. But, man, I hated it, but, like, what a great, strange little gameplay quirk. Yeah. You know? Well, and so, yeah, there's these enemies that they look like these crazy demonic deer. And initially, they're yeah. invisible. And you can only see the bloody footprints they leave on the ground. And you can hear them panting too. So a lot of times I would have heard I heard them behind me like panting. Yeah. And it creeps you the fuck out. It's super creepy. But then like when you shoot them, they become visible. But there's also yeah. like a crazy like screech noise, like stab that happens when you do it. And so it's great because it's super unnerving and it, and it ends up being super cinematic. Like there's one part where there was a whole bunch yeah. of them and I was like running away from, away from them and shooting behind me. And each time I hit one, that stab would happen. So I was just slowly revealing yeah. like a whole herd of them. And I was like, God, this is so scary. And like cinematic is fucking great. Yeah. One of the earlier parts that's really memorable with them is, uh, you're walking down a, a staircase that kind of spirals down at like 90 degree turns. Um, and there's like blood writing on the wall at every stop. So you're like at every like landing of the staircase, you're like reading a note and it keeps going down more and more. Mm-hmm. And then one of these 
fucking things runs up at you and you, you shoot it and it does this like huge loud sound. What? Uh, it's just so good. Cause you're just like walking through the darkness. You have like this tiny field of vision with just your flashlight. Yeah. You know, this game is crazy because it can mix moments like that. Like a crazy moment with one bad guy, but then like five minutes later, you're in like a fucking serious Sam arena. Yeah. You know, yeah, and you're I, just like shooting rocket launchers at three hundred different bad guys, you know. Yeah, no, it's amazing, and it's just all about the details. For example, even the writing on the wall you mentioned. One little thing they do over and over in the game is give you like a doorway, and then they'll just write like "Don't go through the doorway," <laughs> and they just keep yeah. doing it. Yeah. And it's like every time you're like, "I'm gonna go through the fucking doorway," but it's just unnerving to have a big thing yeah. there that's like don't go in there. Cause then you're just suddenly like, I probably shouldn't go in there. <laughs> There's another enemy that I love similar to the Wendigo. That's like these little screaming dudes. Yes. They're called the horrors. Yeah. And they're basically like a big, scary, like face emoji or something. Yeah. With little stick legs. Yeah. They breathe really loud and creepy as well. So you hear them, they breathe super loud. And so you, can't tell where they are and then they just pop out at you and if they run straight at you really fast yeah oh it's so <laughs> fucking good man the other thing too that really calls back to horror games too is like the love some of the later level design that gets really weird and exploratory like the level where you have to change yeah. gravity like oh what the fuck? super psychological at points yeah yeah well just getting through like the rest of the notable enemies um, I thought it was really cute that the goats are called Black Phillips. <laughs> a shout out to like, you know, probably my favorite horror movie of the past decade, The Witch. Yeah. Um, oh, The Witch Rules. Yeah. Um, there are these really like kind of like spindly female monsters called cowgirls Ugh. that are just like really, really creepy to me. I hated those things. They were so hard to kill and extremely fucking yeah. creepy. Well, they're very skinny, so they're a real hard target. Yeah. And then, like, they they bow forward and, like, shoot rockets out of their head or some shit. I can't tell what they're doing. Yeah. But I die. There are a lot of, like, Doom-like enemies, you know, like, melee only, like, the little chainsaw guys and everything. Right. Um, but there are a lot of, like, strange, like, like almost bullet hell style things, too. There's these things called bone balls, and all they do is like shoot skulls everywhere in every oh direction. God, yeah, those things. Very bullet hell-like or very serious Sam-like, I guess. Yeah, some of the later levels where there's like a bunch of cultists who shoot fireballs, and then those things flying around, and your screen is just full. It's like total Ikaruga-style yeah. madness. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of those. There's a gauntlet at the end of the game where you're definitely like – going through first person bullet hill oh yeah i think it's also worth mentioning too that like for as scary and psychological and creepy as this game gets there's a lot of funny stuff like the the bone balls are just kind of funny the cart dog is fucking hilarious what the hell oh, is the cart i forgot dog? about the cart dog yeah so good <laughs> he might be like the the most bonkers fucking bad guy in any game yeah like, it's just a dog in, like, a wheeled cart just wheeling yeah. around. It's, like, a cube cart, and there's a dog with no legs inside of it, and it's, like, tied up to the cube. Yeah. And there's wheels on it, and the dog's legs are, like, tied to the wheels. It's so weird. And and all it does is, like, bum rush and tackle you. Yeah. And they're hard. 
They're hard as fuck. Yeah. But there's also like, uh, you know, most of the bosses are just kind of like tough and, you know, just kind of normal FPS bosses. But one of the bosses is randomly like an Arnold Schwarzenegger impersonator. Yeah. It was like Big John or something. Big, like well, that. yeah, it's, it's Big John, which was one of my friends from high school. And uh, <laughs> and it was just weird because he also did an Arnold Schwarzenegger impression a lot. And this dude just comes out and he's like, oh, kill me, kill me now. And it's. It's really, really strange, but it's it's just yeah. cool how I think like this game can whip back and forth like that, but it doesn't feel like tonal whiplash. Like you just yeah. it makes sense in some nonsensical way, and you just sort of love it. Like even at the end, you know, it's like the last boss is a total like fucking HP Lovecraft thing, and you're just like, where did this come from? But it's like, yeah, uh, yeah. okay, cool, man. So I guess let's. You want to move on to some notable stages? I think the first stage where the atmosphere really hit me hard was the third one. It's called Old Time Religion. Oh, yeah. And it kind of happens at sundown, and the soundtrack is just killer. And the stage actually starts out really quiet. Yeah. And then you start, like, you know, you, like, bust into, like, an an old-timey, like, country church and start, like, killing things. Right. (laughs) And then it kind of ramps up. But yeah, uh, that's really when the game starts like solidifying its kind of style. For sure. Um, and I, I think that's it's worth mentioning, too, that a lot of these stages start with a great visual. Like, the level, yeah. which really distinguishes it, in my opinion, from the older shooters that it's obviously inspired by. A lot of them was just like, plop, here you are, like play the level. <laughs> but like old time religion is one of the multiple stages that starts out and your character is just like at the bottom of a hill looking up at like a creepy church silhouetted against a red sky. And it's just like, yeah, that's a great visual and it's so creepy and evocative. And like you said, the music is great. And I really appreciated how this game can just establish what's going to happen so quickly and effectively especially after you know yeah playing like an old school shooter where you just get plopped in the stage and it's like walk forward dummy this one's like actually yeah. challenging you like look at this shit man that's fucking scary you want to go in there and i'm like no i don't want to go in there like fuck that it's <laughs> awesome and and also too i mean between the huge stages in this game and the visual style and the fact that you can run fast and jump far. This game really reminded me a lot of Turok 2, which I think is one of the most underrated games of all time. Like, such an underrated game. Just a mm. side note. <laughs> I've never played Turok 2. I've played 1. 2 has nothing to do with the original. It doesn't even feel like it's in the same series. I don't even know why they use the license besides, like, sell more copies. But it's it's really, really great. Uh, hopefully Night Dive does that one again soon. <laughs> like, that's a they really... They may have already. Yeah. That's a trick on that. That's a super, super good game. If you like that old school arena shooter but kind of edging more into the modern area with just giant levels and Mm. crazy shit like that's a must play the first chapter or the first episode um i really really loved it just because it had that texas chainsaw massacre scary people in the country vibe to it yeah you know the enemies are guys with bags on their heads and chainsaws are like creepy ladies with forks and between that and the level design i thought the whole aesthetic of that chapter was great um 
and it was it, it was cool. It's not as spooky as two and three. Two and three get really, really spooky because they just shove yeah. you in like tiny dark tunnels and then start fucking with gravity. And you're just like, whoop, okay, nope, nope, nope. Yeah. <laughs> so episode two starts kind of normal. Um, there's some great levels. Um, the Granary, which is another big arena type stage. It's actually like a couple arenas. It's cool because you start and you're kind of like shooting um, regular soldiers. But then this new type of enemy is like posted up really far away. And they just start like raining all these fireballs on you from like really far away. It's just like a really cool visual. Yeah. And you can't fight those guys until later unless you like really want to be a sniper or whatever. Yeah, for sure. But um, yeah. So you're, you're, you're dealing with these like soldiers on the ground while like all these bullets are raining down on you. It's pretty cool. Notable level I've written down is called the Unseen, which is the first time you have to deal with the Wendigos. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, that's where the game starts to put you underground more, which I think is where it really starts to shine. Like where you're just in a dark, cramped tunnel lit by flashlight, and there's invisible fucking satanic deer. Like hell yeah, dude. <laughs> well, you start going into these like military style facilities that don't really make sense. Yeah. But they end up being all part of the mining operation that finds all this shit. Right. You know, you get you have written down here the Escher Labs, which, as the name implies, like start to mess with gravity and kind of get super. Escher Labs is so cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's the first time you're like, what the fuck? Like, this is incredible. Yeah. The game has a really, really good sense of progression. I think especially once you get into episode three. Because, um, like, I mean... The flow of the game, kind of like blood, is like they throw you at a big arena and then they let you explore or put you into like a smaller, creepier level, right? Yeah. And like as the game goes on, though, they start to disrupt that flow with just really wild shit like Escher Labs where it's like, okay, gravity can be changed. Like, okay, shit can get really weird. Or like in episode three, there's even more levels like that. And it starts to like purposefully fuck with the flow of the game. Or like in episode three, I mean, the it's I think it's the first level or one of the first levels, City of Shadows, which is just like great level. Yeah. It's like the best arena level of like any game. Well, I agree. And I think it's such a great arena because it's not just a big open shoot everything arena. It's like an actual cramped little series of tunnels like it's an actual little city or a village that you can stealth around in you can use the sword like you have all these different options and it's much more of a horror experience i mean it immediately brought to mind the opening village of resident evil 4 or the weird the weird facsimile of that that they put into the first um evil within game for some reason like it, it that was i was like holy shit this is like that and so i thought that was cool how the game sort of understood that it it's important to play with the player's expectations, to throw unexpected things at them, and to balance like the horror type of stages and influences with the just like pure arena shooter waves of enemies type experiences. Yeah, I totally played that stage like fucking Rambo. <laughs> that shit was so good. Dude, I, no, I was Leon Kennedy. There, uh, There's jump pads all over the town, so you're just like flying through the air, like in tribes or something yeah oh wow uh, whoa throwback yeah and you're picking up like time slowdown power-ups and like double fire rate power-ups yeah it's just like 
total fucking insanity. And well, and it's funny too because it's like playing Smash TV or something. Yeah, it's funny too because I had a pretty different experience those levels for me because I wanted to be as like stealthy as possible and I played it on easy. So I mean, I would play some of these levels for like twenty minutes and I'd finish and it'd be like developer time two and a half minutes, <laughs> and I was like, yeah. okay, I get it. But it's cool that I I think that. I enjoyed this game so much and it's it's one of those games where just we're talking about it and I want to go play it again and yeah a big reason why I enjoyed it was that it it breaks out of the FPS mold so much and it gives the players so much agency to decide how they want to play it like I could see this guy making an incredible immersive sim game because that's just the concept of an immersive sim is that it looks and kind of acts like a first person shooter but it gives the player all the agency they want and they get to choose how they want to play and there's a little bit of that there's the bones of that in some of these episodes or in some of these levels that are really open-ended but just like there's other episodes where it's just such a cramped tight little like scripted horror experience like you could very much tell this guy's made a walking simulator or three in his time you know yeah he knows how to scare the player definitely yeah absolutely really really set him up for a spook the tail end of episode three is where everything gets like real psychological. Yeah. There's a stage called homecoming where essentially you're like back at your suburban house with your garage, but it's like sort of like all these like memories floating on islands and there's like islands off in the distance that you can't get to either. Right. So you start exploring and you, you find this like light ball or whatever. And you touch it, and it, like, turns gravity 90 degrees. And so all of a sudden, you're, like, standing on a wall in this house. And you could, like, fall out of a window to those islands you couldn't reach previously. Yeah. At this point, the game, like, morphs into this, like, weird logic puzzle. Like, something like Fez for a couple minutes. Oh, yeah. Very Fez. Like, you're, like, trying to figure out where you're going to fall to next and... It's a total mindfuck. It's extremely psychedelic. And I'm actually playing Fez yeah. right now, and it's exactly like Fez. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. It's such a cool stage. And it's also like there's not only writing on the walls, but then you're also getting like subtitles for your character's thoughts. Like when you go to your old house, yeah. it's like something isn't right. And man, such a cool atmospheric stage with almost no combat in it, you know? Yeah, yeah, way out of left field. Yeah, and it's, oh man, it's so, so, so good. Like, I I think that's another thing, too, and we talked a little bit about it last episode with sometimes I get frustrated with marketing because, I mean, most of the time marketing is a sledgehammer, so you just pick the big heavy thing you want to whack the player with, and then you whack them with it, and it frustrates me because I like the weird corners of games. Like, I liked how, you know, creepy and weird observation was and I was sort of annoyed that it was being played more like a sci-fi story in the marketing with this game obviously it's just like hey you you like quake check it out but this (laughs) game is so weird and scary and psychedelic that I I want more like horror people to know that it's weird and scary and psychedelic for sure yeah it's so much more than that and I think it's gonna they're planning a switch release so I think it's gonna catch a wider audience with the switch release yeah 
For sure. Because, I mean, it's so primitive. It's going to run like a dream. I mean, it's not going to be like a neutered port or anything. Yeah. And I know, dude, this is going to make your skin crawl so bad you may just die. But it's going to be really <laughs> fun to play in handheld mode. It'll be like the GBA Doom port, dude. GBA Doom port. Come on. Hey, I played that. I love the GBA Doom port. Dude, me too. <laughs> you know I do. I'm a freak. GBA Resident Evil. Oh, I wish. I wish that it actually come out. Shit looks good, dude. I think it was like a few, it was like a couple years ago or something that I remembered that that was like, I was like, wait, does that exist? Did that ever come out? And then I looked it up and it, it doesn't. I got sad all over again. Yeah, it's like a prototype. I think you can download the prototype. Yeah, there's like, yeah, there's a GBA prototype port of Resident Evil 2, but then there's like Resident Evil Gaiden on the Game Boy Color that also is like yeah, more finished. I don't think that came out either. That's the one I was thinking about. Yeah, I don't think that came out either, though. But it's, like, way more finished. Yeah. There is a prototype, though, of, like, this opening city section of Resident Evil 2 that this one company got running on the GBA. And you can see videos of that. (laughs) That's really cool. Yeah, super cool. I feel like Homecoming is kind of like the apex of Dusk. Like, it's the coolest level. Well, that whole ending... I mean, another thing that Dusk... So Dusk has a lot of references to blood in it. Um, Yeah, the the worst one. Side note is that they brought the fucking rats back. Fuck that shit. Um, (laughs) But I think one of the best things it does that I was sort of viewing as a reference to blood was that how they would have strings of levels that would all flow together really, really well. Um, Yeah, which like stands in contrast to a lot of other like '90s FPS games, but. I think like the whole last stretch of levels in the the last episode of Dusk are basically like you, the game loops back in on itself. You start revisiting yeah. earlier areas and like then finally you go back to like the opening area of the game, but it's like even weirder and creepier and darker and such an yeah. atmospheric foreboding stretch of the game. Yeah, there's a part where you end back in the basement where you woke up at the beginning of the game. Right. And you're asked to put yourself back onto the uh, meat hook yeah. that you were left on. That's like how you end the yeah. level. Yeah. Oh, it's so cool. It's really cool. Yeah, I loved it. There's a stage that's like built out of parts of the older stages. Right. And it's really psychological the way you're running through it. And it's very MC Escher. It's just a great mindfuck. It's hard to talk about. You just have to like play that stage. Yeah, for sure. But then, yeah, um, there's of course like an enemy gauntlet stage that is absolutely fucking relentless nuts yeah and i mean you played it on easy i played it on the medium difficulty and that was hard as balls i died a lot oh yeah it was hard i had to save scum actually uh (laughs) one of the reasons that i didn't have to do even more save scumming bullshit was that uh the final boss like kind of glitched and so, like, one of the horses was, like, up in the sky and not firing at me. Oh, nice. So I just looked up and, like, shot him in the stomach for a while and won. <laughs> yeah, I think the, the infighting between the three um, took care of one for me, and then it was a lot easier. Oh, okay. So I probably had the same experience, yeah. but one of mine just got stuck in the sky. So I just had to kill two of them and then, <laughs> like, kill the one in the sky. I was like, thank you. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but then uh, you actually do like a one-on-one deathmatch fight with the uh, leader of the cult, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Because his little character um, model looks like really goofy. He's so funny. He's cute. He's like a... You remember Duplo? He's like a a Duplo doll. 
And then, of course, there's, like, a secret last boss, which is, like, the big um, Lovecraftian beast that you uh, mentioned earlier. Yeah, and he's also kind of a callback to one of the earlier bosses in the game where it's, like, a puzzle fight, which I also, I liked a lot, too. Once again, I like that you just fought this crazy gauntlet, and then you fought, like, a pretty difficult boss, and then it's like, okay, well, now this one's just a puzzle, you know? And once again, it's yeah. got those immersive sim vibes. Give me those uh, System Shock Prey 2017 <laughs> cough, cough vibes. Yes, I liked it a lot. And I think they just wanted to end on a more cinematic note. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, so for sure, it was a nice, it was a nice ending. But the twist at the end is, you know, of course you defeat you defeat the beast, which has a ridiculous name. Do I have it written down here? It's great. I think it's actually a Lovecraft thing. It is a Lovecraft thing, but it's like way too many syllables. Yeah. Anyways, you defeat it and it gives you its power. And I guess you're like a bad guy now in the game. Ends. Yeah. And then there's like, but that doesn't matter. The story doesn't matter. Oh yeah. It's uh, We're playing dusk. It's Nyarlathotep. Yes. Who's like kind of like the big mysterious boss man of the underworld and the Lovecraft uh, mythos if I'm he's not like you know the devil but he's he's very mysterious and evil and there's lots of tuneless piping of flutes and, and wild dancing whenever he's around So that's also supposed to be a uh, reference to Quake because the last boss in Quake is also a Lovecraft monster yeah for sure yeah from like the same family of monsters or whatever Yeah, I don't know I don't really do the Lovecraft thing but oh, more power to I mean, I did when I was a fucking goth teenager. Let me tell you what, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> that was my shit. Um, not so much anymore, but I remember all of it. Yeah. Bless you. Yeah. Not proud, but hey, there it is. Man, this game was so, so good. And like I said, I'm being real with you. I had mixed feelings going into this episode because this is not my normal speed. And it's not your wheelhouse. No, and and playing Blood was fun because like I, d- I did play those games when I was a kid and it was nostalgic. And Blood is actually a really exceptional game in this genre. I think if you like horror, you know, more yeah. than first person shooters, Blood is an exceptional game. But Dusk really caught me off guard. Like it looked cool. I had been wanting to check it out, but just because it's not my normal speed, I didn't check it out. And man, I was I was blown away. What a great game. Yeah, I mean, Dusk is, like, I think it's solidified its place in the pantheon of, like, great 90s-style FPS games. For sure, and, like, I've been arguing this whole episode, I think it, it has a big place in just great horror games as well. Should we... Game Club? Yeah, Game Club. Game Club. We're doing it. We're here. We're doing games. Every week. Game Club, where we do the games, and the games are games. Game Club. <laughs> Get with it, guys. Game Club. Uh, so if you're playing along at home, the next... <laughs> sorry, just imagine it being like the 50s, and this is like a talk show, and they're playing like recorder music and showing the notes on screen, and someone's just playing a recorder along at home. <laughs> can we get some bad recorder music uh, under this? Uh, engineer? Engineer, can we get some bad, yeah. bad recorder music underneath this? Bad recorder, Yoshi's Island. So we're doing our uh, 2.5D episode. Yeah, we're talking about Inside. We're talking mm-hmm. about Limbo. And we're talking about 
Lil Nightmares. Lil. Lil. Nightmares. Lil Nightmares. He's a new rapper. He's from Florida. No. Young kid. <laughs> kind of scrawny. <laughs> it's Lil Nightmares. Wears a raincoat. I'm, I'm super looking forward to this one. Yeah. I've played them all previously, and they're all really fun, and they're also all really short. So Yeah, if you want to play along before this episode, you've got plenty of time, because these games are all like three hours long. They're all very cheap. Uh... I think you can play them all on, like, everything. I know for sure I played Limbo on my phone the first time, so, like... Me too! Yeah. Well, I guess we'll talk about that in the next yeah. episode. Yeah, great phone games. <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right. Well, that's it. See you then. Bye, haters. <laughs>